walking in God's favor. All right, walking in God's favor. Now, we're in week two on this, uh, this series in the book of Ruth. Uh, last week, if you were here, Pastor Cindy took us through uh, chapter one, and that was the story, if you remember, of, of Naomi and Elimelech, the husband and wife, and, you know, there was a time of famine, and so they decided to pack up and move to Moab. Okay, God didn't tell them to, but they, that's what they decided to do to solve the thing. Uh, but while they were there, uh, the boys get married. They marry two Moabite women, okay? And, uh, but then after some years, uh, Naomi's husband dies, and then the two boys die. And so uh, what Naomi was left with then was her two Moabite daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And if you recall, uh, you know, Naomi heard that there was food back in Bethlehem, and so she decided she wanted to go home, and Orpah decided to stay in Moab, but Ruth, even though Naomi encouraged her, decided that she should go on with Naomi and uh, leave Moab, travel to Bethlehem, and, and stay with, uh, with her in spite of Naomi's urging. So, so now, uh, as we kind of get ready to look at chapter 2, uh, we're sort of at the, they're back, right? They made the trip, and they're back. But they're back in a very different way, right? Naomi, they, got, they have no husband, no sons, uh, no jobs, no income. And, you know, to kind of bring it into modern terms and, like, and no food stamps. No, I mean, you know, let's kind of pull the Bible up, you know, because, okay, they, they, they've kind of lost it all. They've got nothing, okay? Uh, they have one thing. Naomi mentions to Ruth, that they do have a relative somewhere out there, a kinsman redeemer, a guy named Boaz, who was a, a, a relative on her husband's side, on Elimelech's side. Okay? Now, that term kinsman redeemer is not one we just use every day, is it? That's not a real familiar term to us. And so let's just take a look at what it means for a second. A, a kinsman redeemer was a member of, a family, of the family. It was a close relative. Okay? And it was someone who would assume responsibility and would also the privilege of kind of bailing out a family member who got themselves in trouble, okay? Uh, a, a, good, a good definition would probably be a male relative who delivers, rescues, or redeems those who can't recover themselves. Now, you know, back in those days, sometimes people would get in so much debt that they would actually sell themselves into slavery. Kinsman Redeemer would be the one who would eventually come and, and, and buy them back. Sometimes people, you know, that in biblical times, right, it was a completely agricultural economy. If you had land, you wouldn't starve. But if you lost your land, you could be in real trouble. Well, Kinsman Redeemer, if you were in danger of losing your land, it was very important to keep the land in the family for future generations to have a source of income to be able to grow. And so kinsman redeemer would, would be the one that, who would have that opportunity to redeem the land and get it back into the family to keep it for future generations. Um, it, even would pay the debt of people who just couldn't pay their debts. Now, you know, we kind of look at that today and say, you know, I, I don't want to pay your visa bill, you know, but, but that's kind of, that's, that's literally, right? We get people who are in so much debt problems today Right, that, that it brings bankruptcy and things. Well, you know, there was no such thing as bankruptcy really back then. 
right? So, I mean, it was, you had to give, a, if you had nothing else, you sold yourself as, to be a slave. And so it was a big thing. And so that's what the kinsman redeemer did. He, he brought it back, okay? Now, look, in our different times of our lives, some of us can find ourselves in, in some similar situations. We may have found ourselves in a time, due to whatever circumstances, that we were facing a time of serious need. Can any of us ever say, I've been in a time in my life when I was facing serious need? Okay, I mean, then we can relate to this, okay? It may have been, it may not have been life-threatening, but it was certainly life-altering. It was life-changing. It was, it, was it was a source of concern, okay? And so there we are. So we can have found ourselves, whether it was a financial problem, it was job-related, it was food, it may have been a place to live. But, but it was a time when it seemed like our need exceeded our resources, and we just didn't quite know how we were going to get from here to there, right, uh, at, with what we had and what we were facing. And so, you know, what should we do when we find our t ourselves in situations like that? Or, or, or if we have family members or friends who are in that kind of situation right now, how should we counsel them? What would, what would we say to them? So let's read uh, Ruth chapter 2, and let's see how Ruth... And Naomi's need were met as they found themselves walking in God's favor. So, would you join with me? Let's just pray as we prepare to read God's word. Lord, today we come before you. And Father, as we look into your word, we know, Father, that it's your perfect word and that it instructs us, that it guides us, it teaches us and encourages us. And Lord, so now today we just ask you to speak to us. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. To, uh, to just interpret, guide, and teach each of us, Father, as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, if you got your Bibles, Ruth chapter uh, 2, it's, uh, you can follow along on the uh, screen as well. So, uh, Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, uh, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does this young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a very short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work with me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told. 
all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. She said, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain, and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves. Don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she gathered the barley. She, uh, then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. That's it's about 30 pounds. It's what down in my footnote it says. I mean, this was a lot of barley, okay? She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is our guardian redeemer. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they've finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. For Naomi and Ruth, their immediate need was they needed food. They needed something to eat. So we see in verse 2 that Ruth says, let me go into the fields. You know, today that would be, we'd say, hey, I'm going to go look for a job. Right? I mean, that would be today's version. I'm, 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 right, guys, we moved, we're back in town. We got no food. We got no job. The cupboards are bare. I'm going to go look for a job. Now, she wasn't, she didn't say, I'm going to go stand on a street corner with a sign I wrote up and beg for money. Did she? No, she didn't say that. Okay? Ruth wasn't looking for a handout. Ruth was looking for a hand up, right? Ruth was just looking for someone. She was willing to work for the food. She was just looking for someone who would allow her to work so that they could move. So here's a question for you. How did she end up in the field of Boaz? Just talk, talk amongst anybody by you for a second. How did Ruth end up in the field of Boaz? Anybody, what do you think? Okay. Anybody else? Yeah. 
good. So, I mean, let's, let's talk about that, right? Ruth came to be in the field of Boaz, right? Because she was walking in and experiencing God's favor. Okay? So, so let's look now at what we can learn from this portion about Ruth's life, right, then, of walking in God's favor and how it can apply to us. So it's kind of like if, if we find ourselves in these situations, how, what do we need to do, right, to be walking in God's favor so that we have that same kind of outcome? I'd like to propose to you the first thing, the first step along the way is we need to allow God to guide our steps. Allow God to guide our steps. Let me just kind of clear up one thing. It's, you know, we all have words, right, that we use that some people kind of call them throwaway. You know, it's almost like we, we get in a habit of talking a certain way and, and we just use words without really even thinking about what they mean. So let me dispel one word. Uh, there is no such thing as good luck. Could I, could I just clarify that? There is no such thing as good luck. Did you know there's over 800,000 words in the Bible? The word luck is never used once. The word favor is. Okay? Proverbs 16, 9 says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 20, 24 says, A man's steps are directed by the Lord. Look, to the world, a believer might appear lucky. When something good happens, right? The world might say, man, you know, boy, he's really a lucky guy, isn't he? But it's not luck. It's the favor of God. It's the blessing of God, right? In fact, there's, and this was really an important point, I think, as I, as I studied this. You know, there's a lot of verses in the word of God that talk about God leading us and guiding us. Okay? But just think about this. The concept of God leading us or guiding us requires that we're moving. Does that make sense? It requires that we're, that we're taking action and, and then that he, you know, right? I mean, you know, when you're, if, if you've ever ridden a horse, you know, you've got the reins, right? You turn a horse to the right or the left with, by leaning the reins on their neck, okay? But if the horse is standing still... It only, it only works if he's, if he's moving, okay? It only works if he's moving. So just think about it. Doing what we can with what we have, okay? That's what Ruth did. Ruth left home that morning, and she went out to do what she could do with what she had, which was look for a field, to pick up scraps of grain. Where she would end up, which field was in the hands of God? Okay? You know, Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, okay? We read through it. It, it has a phrase that I find really, you know, kind of cool. It says, as it turned out. <laughs> right? You know, as it turned out, you know, it says she ended up in the field of Boaz. Listen, it didn't just happen that Ruth ended up working in the field of Boaz, the, fem the family's kinsman redeemer. It didn't just happen because Ruth planned it. Remember, Naomi didn't tell her about that. It says they had one, but it doesn't say Naomi mentioned to her about who it was. 
Okay, uh, when she left that morning, you know, as she's saying goodbye to Naomi, Naomi didn't say, now Ruth, look around till you find a guy named Boaz and then ask to work in his field. It sounds like she just said goodbye, honey, hope you have a good day. You know, see you tonight, okay? Look, at, so what happened? What happened? Remember, Ruth started walking. Ruth, Ruth just went out. Uh, it didn't, and you know, in Scripture, certain things happen, but I want to call out, Ruth wasn't walking down the road, and it didn't, doesn't say that she saw a burning bush in the field and said, oh, that must be the field that I'm supposed to go work in. Or, you know, Ruth just started walking, doing what she could do, looking for a field where there was harvesting going on, right? Because the gleaning thing was after the harvesters. So she had to, it had to be a field where they would be harvesting. And at some point, and we don't know how, right, she just picked a field. She saw some harvesters working, and she decided that looks like a field that I could go ask to work in. And so she just picked a field, and she went there. What she didn't know was that God had led her to that field. Okay? Look, there's a term. It's kind of a church term, divine providence. Okay? Divine could I, So maybe, a, a, you know, that's sort of like, what do you mean by that, right? Well, you might also call it divine direction or divine management. Okay? It's, it's this concept, it's this process of God, right, where, where God in his wisdom and his love cares and directs for all things in the universe. Divine providence recognizes that God is in complete control of everything. Now, in case that's sort of a new idea for you, you go, really? You know, is it really every last thing? Well, I don't think we put them on the screen, but I'll just give you like six quick examples. In Psalm 103.19, it talks about that God governs the universe as a whole. In, in Matthew 5.45, it says that he directs all the affairs of the physical world. Psalm 66.7 says he guides the affairs of nations. Galatians 1.15 says he directs human destiny. Luke 1.52 talks about his hand in human success and failure. And Psalm 4.8 talks about his providence, his, his management of, of our lives, even provides for the protection of his people. That's just about everything. Okay? So we serve this God who through divine providence is in control of all things. Okay? So now... And you do know that all of this that I've just read stands in direct opposition, right, to the worldly secular view that all the stuff that happens, right, that the universe and all that happens, good or bad, is just an issue of chance or fate and not God's hand leading, guiding, and directing. So for Ruth, the right field for her to be in, right, was the field belonging to Boaz. Okay? Now, isn't it interesting that when, when Ruth left home that morning, that for Ruth and Naomi, their circumstances, the situation they've been in, the thing they're coming through and where they are right now, would make their lives appear to have been total failures, right? Lost everything, got nothing, in desperate need. Wouldn't look like they have much to show for what they've been through and where they are. 
no relief in sight. But isn't it really good to know that even when we're in the middle of a tough time, God's been busy. God's been busy behind the scenes. And we know from Romans 8.28, he's been behind the scenes doing what? Working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Just think about it. Ruth, out of a survival instinct, really nothing more, a survival instinct that morning says, I got to go out and look for food. She doesn't want to starve, right? So she heads out to look for work, no particular plan in mind, but then as scripture, I love the phrase in scripture, but as it turned out, okay, as it turned out, she ended up in the field belonging to Boaz, their family's kinsman redeemer. And by the way, Boaz just happens to be single. Boaz just happens to be wealthy. Boaz just happens to be a good man with a great reputation, a man who loves God. I mean, imagine that, okay? Imagine that, okay? So, look, we need to understand that to walk in God's favor, we need to allow God to guide our steps. Because even when it makes no sense to us, we can't see what God is doing out of our sight, behind Do you see, bringing all these things together. I mean, think about it. If Boaz was a wealthy guy, why isn't he already married? Because God's been saving him for this moment. Do you understand? There are things in our life that we go through that at the time, we may be the Ruth person or we may be the Boaz person. There are times in our life that there can be circumstances going on in our lives that to us make no sense. In fact, from the world's view, they would call us a failure because, because our life isn't unfolding the way that TV makes it look like everybody's life ought to unfold. Okay? But the fact is, God is at work. God is at work and he's moving and he's, you know, there are things going on in our lives right now. Just think about the times when you look, maybe you needed a job. And you say, there's no job, or the job I want, there's no way it'll ever become available. And all of a sudden, somebody moves. Somebody comes into town. Maybe you were looking for a a, a spouse or a a wife at one time, and you go like, I I don't even know where that's going to come from. I don't even know where to look. I've, I've, I've looked all the places I know, okay? And all of a sudden, you know, like with me, God moved me 900 miles away, plops me in town, and I get to meet Pastor Cindy. No, do you understand? I mean, I mean, the, the, it, you kind of go, how does this happen? Because honestly, and I'm sorry to say it this way, I didn't want to leave where I was. I liked where I was. I had no intention to move to the tundra, you know. But it, was, it wasn't part of my life's plan, you know. <laughs> but, but God, do, do you see what I mean? There's stuff happening and or being orchestrated that if we... But remember that it all started because Ruth left that morning to just go do what she could do. We got to remember that if we want to see God's hand move in our life, if we want his will and his blessing and favor on our lives, what we don't do is just sit at home and fret. Okay? We, we go do what we have the resources and ability to do, even if it's nothing more than walk down the road to look for a job just so that God has the opportunity then to guide us and direct us to the right one. Second thing we got to do if we want to see God's favor at our life is we need to trust God's providence to lead us to blessing. We've got to trust his management, if you will, 
to lead us to blessing. Matthew 13, 44 talks about, you know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like hidden treasure in a field. It's like hidden treasure in a field. Well, I kind of like that because we're talking about her working in a field. And I said, so look, when you allow God to direct your steps, you'll end up in the right field, right? But that field will also contain the blessing and favor, the treasure of God, because it's the field that he led you to. For Ruth, that hidden treasure in that field was not that the barley was better than someone else's. It was that it belonged to Boaz. It was that it belonged to Boaz. You know, I mean, it is really, isn't it cool? Isn't it interesting? Ruth had no idea. She had no way of knowing how blessed she would be when she, the morning that she entered that field and asked the foreman, can I please pick up scraps in this field? She had no way that she knew that that was the field that God had led her to. Now, what do we know? Here's what we know. We know that before Boaz knew who Ruth was, remember when he walks up? Who's the woman? He, he, he didn't know her. Okay? So he says, who, who is this young woman? Okay, so what do we know about Boaz? We know that before he knew who Ruth was, remember that, that in that time they had the first five books of the Bible, right? They had the law. So, so Boaz who obviously was a man of God, had read Deuteronomy 24, 19 to 22. And part of what Deuteronomy 19 to 19, 24, 19 to 22 says, it says that you're supposed to leave gleanings for foreigners, orphans, and widows. And because if you do, the Lord will bless you. Okay? He also had read Leviticus 22. And it said, when you reap the harvest of your field, Boaz, Mr. Wealthy Landowner, when you reap the harvest of your field, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings. The gleanings were the stuff that fall, you know, that, okay, that fall, fall down. Don't gather those. Leave them for the poor, the foreigner who live among you. So before Boaz knew who Ruth was, Boaz was already obeying the word of God. Boaz was leaving the gleanings. He, he was allowing the poor and foreigners to come and, and, and pick up food so that they wouldn't starve. But then what happened after Boaz knew who Ruth was, right? When, they, when he found out, the first thing he did was he, rec- I mean, think about it. He didn't say, oh, you know, he, he didn't try and get a date with her or something, right? He recognized her character. The first thing he said to her, Ruth 2, verse 11, he says, I've been told about what you've done. Isn't it interesting how word spreads about our character? People, look, people who, who live honorably, people who live in ways that bring honor and glory to God, word gets around. In the same way when we live dishonorably, word gets around, doesn't it? Isn't it neat that the first thing that came out of his mouth I mean, think about it. She thinks she's just a foreigner in a foreign land. Nobody knows her. She's got nothing. Here's a wealthy man. She, she didn't, she's never met. She doesn't, you know, she has no reason to expect anything from him because she doesn't understand that he's the kinsman redeemer. And the first words out of his mouth, I've heard about you. I've been told what you've done. So what happens then? He not only 
recognizes and compliments her character. The second thing in, in verse 8, he invites her to remain with him and his team through the whole harvest. Uh, if you read different sources and things, he said for the barley and the wheat harvest. That would have been like at least two months. Okay? So let's put that into, again, common language today. So Ruth got a job. Ruth, I mean, Ruth went, went out that morning, right, looking, looking for a job. Ruth got a job. Okay? Ruth got a job. Verse 9, he offered her protection. He said, I told the men, don't touch you. In fact, stay here because in another field you might be harmed. I mean, just think about it. Women in those days were not treated with great respect, okay, but also she's a foreigner. She's a single woman and a foreigner. I mean, that, going out in the field with a bunch of harvester guys was not a safe, wonderful place for a woman to be. But Boaz has told the men, don't touch her. He offered her protection. And here's, even, here's the part I love, too. Verse 14, I'm going to call it, he promoted her. He not only gave her a job, he promoted her. How did he promote her? Well, you know what? One thing, one thing the, the landowners were expected in the Word of God, right? We read, to leave the gleanings, to let the poor and the orphans and the foreigners pick it up. Doesn't say anything in there, and by the way, while they're there, feed them. It sure doesn't say, and by the way, while they're there, feed them and bring them over to your table and let them sit with you and offer them what you're feeding your team. Do you understand? But that's what he did. He promoted her to be equal to his other employees. She was no longer working there as one of the poor that Leviticus spoke of. So Boaz was certainly fulfilling the requirements of the law, but because Boaz was this mighty man of God who was serving God and living for God, he went beyond the law. And isn't that what we're called to do as well? The law is this line, right, that is like this, which it becomes almost like the minimum, the minimum requirement, right? The minimum that's expected. Boaz went way beyond the law, didn't he? Boaz went all the way to grace. Boaz blessed her. Boaz treated her as one of his employees. Boaz showed her more than she could have ever expected to receive. So what we see today in Ruth chapter 2 is that if we want to walk in God's favor, we need to allow God to guide our steps. But then we need to trust God to lead us to his blessing and provision. To wait for it, but to look for it. Because it's there. So last week in chapter 1, we saw that Ruth had to overcome a lot, didn't she? She had to overcome the loss of her husband, the desertion of her sister-in-law, the discouragement of her mother-in-law, and the disadvantage of returning to Bethlehem as a foreigner from Moab. Truth is, if Ruth hadn't chosen to live a life of character, commitment, and overcoming faith, this would have been a pretty short book. In fact, it probably would have never been written. Right? It probably would have never been written. But it was Ruth's character and her determination that carried her from Ruth chapter 1 to Ruth chapter 2. That's what saw her through, was her willingness to step out and go looking for work that allowed God to guide her steps 
to the field of Boaz. So today, you might be in that very same kind of place. You might be in a place where you feel like you're stuck in chapter 1. Bad stuff's happening. You could feel discouraged. You could feel surrounded by disappointment or loss. People, sometimes we can feel like people and circumstances are just stacked up against us on all sides. Voices are full of discouragement. What we got to remember is that, like Ruth, first you get to chapter 2 by surviving chapter 1. Right? Okay, you get to chapter 2 by surviving, by persevering through chapter 1, by not giving up, by not being the one that turns around and says, I think I'll just go back home, but keeps moving forward. In fact, think about it. She was leaving Moab, a godless pagan place, even though she didn't necessarily realize God was already beginning to direct her steps by leading her to Bethlehem, the house of bread, where God provides. Think about that. It would have been so much easier for Ruth to just go back home. I mean, Orpah had already kind of blazed the trail by saying, yeah, I think I'll go back home. It would have been very easy for her to go, yeah, I think I'll just go home too. Leave Naomi to sort it out on her own. But what did she do? She said, no, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay with you. So she started moving. Would you guys stand with me? We're going we're gonna to draw to a close here. And today, I just want to remind you, you get to chapter 2 by surviving and persevering through chapter 1. Okay? Look, today, I just want to ask you, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes. It's a moment for us just to reflect on, on walking in God's favor, for allowing him to guide our steps, trusting him, for his providence to lead us to blessing. So with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, if, you're a, if you've been in a season or you're there now where you've had difficulty believing that God would guide your steps, you've had difficulty believing that he would lead you to the right field, but today you're ready to move into a new season of trusting God to order your steps. You're ready to trust God's providence to lead you to that field that contains your blessing and your provision nobody looking around just raise your hand if that's you today you want to take a stand and say i'm ready i'm ready to believe i'm ready to trust good okay thank you hands down let's pray together lord today god we just want to come before you and father first of all we recognize that you are a good good father we recognize lord that you love us and, Lord, we recognize that there are so many times, even in your word, where it sets something up, but then it says, but God. And, Lord, just here, even in Ruth's life, you were moving in the background. You were orchestrating, organizing circumstances in ways that Ruth or Naomi couldn't know, they couldn't see. But because they kept moving in your direction, because they left Moab and started heading back to Bethlehem, to the house of bread, Lord, thank you that as they moved, you guided and you directed their steps and you led them to, you led Naomi, uh, led Ruth to the field of Boaz. And Lord, thank you that today, as we've made a commitment, Father, to trust you and believe that you will guide our steps. 
and that you will lead us to all that you have for us, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you're good and we can trust you. So God, today, we just say we're all in. We're just all in on this, God. No more fence setting. No more just putting our toe in the water to see if it feels good. God, we're going to get out and start moving. And Lord, even if we don't quite know where it's leading us yet, just like Ruth, we believe you're going to lead us to the right field, to the right place. So God, we're going to do what we can do with what we have in every circumstance of life. And we're going to believe, Father, that you will use it and multiply it and guide it, Lord, to guide us to where you have planned for us. So, Father, we want to thank you in advance, Father, for your favor in each of our lives. Lord, we want to thank you for your blessing and provision as we walk in your providence. So in the name of Jesus, I just pronounce and proclaim, be blessed. Be blessed and walk in God's favor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.